This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we? We're good over here somewhat? Over here, meh? So-so? Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I, guess I, can, I can respect that. Um, you, ever been to, uh, you ever been to a football game or a, a baseball game? Hook them. I know you're very, very happy, very happy, right? Moral victories all around. Um, no, no, I, I just, it was a good game. It was a good game. It was a good game. No? Shake your head, no. Georgia looked fantastic again. So, anyways, but part of what, why do they call it a home field advantage? Anybody? Say it again. You got the crowd going, right? It's not because the grass is, well, I don't know, sometimes the grass may be better. Who knows, right? But, but in large part, it's because when a team of 11 comes and there's, you know, I don't know, 100,000 people yelling at you, uh, it can be a little intimidating, right? Um, and, and so, but, but at the same time, right, to not have to a neutral game, right, is when, when that crowd, that crowd con- control, that's not the right word. What am I looking for? Crowd control? That's not it. What is it? Crowd noise? ambiance whatever yeah you know that thing when that's removed right and it's almost like neutral right i don't know where i'm going all i'm trying to say here this is not in the sermon obviously this is just like hey we're chatting all i'm trying to say here is i love sitting here and hearing people sing like hearing the voices because it's like home field advantage it builds one another up right it builds a, a team up when you've got a hundred thousand people cheering for you um and, and it's just the same thing here with worship right like there's more power, I'm more encouraged, I'm more moved to join in worship when there's others with me singing. So I just want to encourage everyone, that's what I was getting towards in this terrible, uh, unthought out illustration, but just want to encourage you in, in worship, right? Like, like your voice matters, yes to God and to building up the church. Like your presence and your voice matters. And so I know like some people are like, man, where's my church home going to be? Um, and that's great. Wherever that is, your presence and your voice and your worship and your involvement matters. And it's just, it builds one another up. And so I just want to encourage you in that uh, and thank you for, for worshiping this morning because it, it, it encouraged me. And it, it's great to hear. And I can't, I mean, I imagine for, for Charlie and anyone else, right, to hear that with you is, is powerful. Uh, and so uh, just, just a little applause, that's all. That's all. There we are. All right. Thank you, Mike. I'm like, man, this is just, you got to prep for stuff like this, Corey. This didn't go well. So um, anyways, Mark Twain, um, everybody knows Mark Twain, right? What else did Mark Twain write? Huckleberry. There, thank you. Good old Huckleberry fan. All right. Mark Twain, he is quoted as saying the two most important days in your life, in the person's life, are the day you were born or, or if you want to spiritualize this, the day you're born again, perhaps. Um, that's not in the quote. I added that. Um, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Right? The, the day you were born or the day you're born again, if you want to go that route, and the day you then deter, like, realize why you are here, what your, your purpose is. Or you're no longer just kind of aimlessly wandering, but you're like, I know what we're doing here and I have a purpose. Right? And, and so Why? Why are you here? Why are, why are we here? Right? Why, knowing why, is perhaps the most important questions. Most business leaders, if you want to work for a company or start a company, most business leaders will tell you before you figure out what you're going for or how you're going to do it, figure out why. 
Why does the company exist? Why, do you, why are you aiming down this route? Why are you trying to accomplish this purpose? It's the why that really inspires and compels people and teams to, to move forward. It's the why that drives people through obstacles and through challenges, right? When you know there's a greater and a bigger purpose here, I can keep going even though I'm hitting obstacles and challenges. But if we don't have a conviction for why we are here, it's only gonna take a small bump in the road and we're like, well, that's not worth it. I'll go find something else. And so Mark Twain's quote is, is true, right? Some of the greatest and most impactful points in your life, it, yes, when you're born, that, that matters, when you're born again, and, and when you discover why. why. Why the heck are we here? And that's the question I want to try and answer for us as a church. Why is this church here? Why did we move to Austin in 2017 and start a church in 2018 and, and be like, hey, COVID's here, and when it'd be really easy just to be like, all right, we're gonna pack it up and take off, keep going, and why are, we, why are we doing all this? Why do we set up and tear down? Why do we have community groups? There's plenty of churches, right? You can, there's plenty of options. Why? Why are we here? And if this is your church home, then it's a good reminder because if, if this is your church home, then we've all, we're saying, hey, this is for me. This is my purpose here as well. We're adopting, that's not just our church's purpose, that's my purpose. And if you're looking for a church home, it's good to know, like, okay, if I'm gonna be a part of this church, wh why? Why is this church here? What are we going for? The reason we are here as a church is to know love and worship God with our whole lives by helping one another trust, follow, and be with Jesus. We, we are here. The, the reason this church exists, the reason we are still doing anything is to be a people who know, love, and worship God with our whole lives and, and to help one another trust follow and, and abide in Jesus. Be with Jesus. Our, our aim is not to, to have this incredible worship service. Our aim is not to be a big church. Our aim is not to be multiple churches. Our aim is not to be known for social care. Our aim is not to be known for community. Our aim is not to be known for, for fill in the blank. Our aim is to know God and to make Jesus known as we follow him and abide with him. Everything else will take care of itself. Right? Everything else will naturally follow suit if, if that's what we are accomplishing. We are here. Our hope for you is to genuinely know, love, and worship God with your whole life. Our hope for you is not to be good church folk. It's not. Like that is a really low ceiling. Our hope for you is not to, to kick your bad habits. Although that'd be, that's, we'd love for that to happen. Our hope for you is not to, you know, just find this, this religious organization that, that does all the good things around, like although that, that's part of it too, that's great. Our hope for you is to genuinely engage with and worship and personally know the living God of the world. Everything else will take care of itself after that. But if we miss that, what's the point? Or if we miss the, the ultimate purpose, what's, what's the point? 
And so I just want to break this down. Why? Why is this our goal? Why, why God? Why do we want to help each other, you know, trust, follow, and, and be with Jesus? Why all that? There's plenty of other, there's plenty of other things. Why, why are we selling out our lives to, to know and worship God? So I just want to walk through that today. You, you should all have a, a worship guide on the back side of it is, is notes. And so we're going to pull out the handy-dandy whiteboard again today. Um, and so if you've been here for three weeks, that's an exaggeration. Um, but if you've been here for any length of time, this is not new to you. But I'm a visual learner, and it's the best way I know how to communicate the gospel and, and why we are here. Um, and so I encourage you, because... If you are a Christian, I was thinking about this the other day. I told Charlie this, and I'll pull this up here so it's a little more seeable. That's not a good word. Um, viewable? Whatever. I told Charlie the other day, I said, man, what if you were a baseball player, a professional baseball player? And someone was like, oh, that's awesome. Where, where do you play baseball? And he's like, I, I don't play baseball. And I'd be like, What? Like, you are a baseball player, but you don't play a baseball player? Like, that'd be weird, right? Or if I was like, oh, I'm a preacher. And they're like, oh, where do you preach? And like, I don't preach. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. You don't say, I am this, and then you're not, right? And I was, just, I was thinking about that because 2 Corinthians 5 says, if you are a Christian, you are an ambassador for Christ, making appeal to those around him. Like, that's not a, something like one day as a Christian, you'll grow into being an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ, which means, by definition, we share our faith. We represent Jesus to the world around us. Right, and, and so I was just like, this is a great way for us to learn how to represent Jesus to the world around us because if you are a Christian, it, it's part of our identity. Like, it, it would be as weird as saying, I'm a baseball player, but I don't play baseball, to say, like, I'm a Christian, but I don't share Christ. Like, that, those two are incompatible. Like, they just literally don't make sense according to the Bible. And, and so this will just be a great way where, all right, how do we communicate that message? Why are we so big on knowing God and following Jesus? W where does all this come from, right? And so we'll, we'll start here. Um, oh, dear. Oh, oh, dear. What's going on here? Where, where am I breaking down? Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, you got to get it in the, in the slot there. Okay. This is why I can't have nice things. Because Stephen's standing on a chair on top of a table. and <laughs> I, forgot I forgot the ladder. That's on me again. Gosh. So, <clears throat> here's what we believe. That when we started um, coming here as a church, right, I, I heard this quote um, in one of our sermons um, back in the day. I wasn't preaching, it was someone else. It would be funny if it was like, I heard this quote, I said it. <laughs> you know, like, it was so impactful. Um, but it was this quote from uh, Thomas Aquinas, right? And he said, there's in the soul of every person a search for happiness and meaning. And I was like, dang, yeah, that's spot on. Right, like when you start trying to find commonality amongst humanity, right? No matter what the the you know ethnicity is, what the background is, what the story is, what what across humanity from from Adam and Eve to however many people come down the future, universally we all desire to live a life of of happiness and meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Right, so, so we call it the fullness of life. Every single one of you and your moms or your dads or your sisters or your nieces or your kids or whatever, every single human being wants to live life to the fullest. 
every single one of us, as much as we need oxygen to live, like it's a part of what it means to be human, it is a part of what it means to be human to pursue the fullness of life. Even when, when we would look at someone and go, man, they're, they're self-sabotaging, right? Somehow inside their minds, that is the best possible solution for them, right? That's the best possible route to go, even if it means taking their own life, right? That's the best option. That's how we live as people. You all hope that tomorrow will be better than today. Like, no one's thinking, gosh, I really hope to just have a crappy Monday. That'll be amazing. None of us. We would love for it to be amazing. And then we hope Tuesday will be better than Monday. Like, give us options, and if every day can progressively get better, that's what we're going to pick. Because it's part of who we are as human. And so the question becomes, the difference between people and, and cultures and generations is, what do we think is going to give us this fullness of life? Right? What is it that we're going to chase after, hoping that if we grab onto it, we'll be satisfied? I know for me, one of the things that, that I'm prone to chase after is relational connection. Right? Like, I want to feel connected to people. I don't want to feel rejected. I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to feel betrayed. I want to feel like I've got, I've got my people and they've got me and we, we are tight. Right? And, and, and so I can struggle and think, like, if I don't have relational connection, if everybody here was like, Corey, you're the worst, we hate your stinking guts, and, like, took off, like, that could be potentially devastating. Undo me. Right? So, so for me, relational connection can be that thing that's like, if I don't have real relational connection, I can't be happy. Right? Anybody else, you know, resonate with that? For, for some, it could just be success. Like, I've got these dreams, I've got these visions, I've got this plan of life, and it goes from here to here to here to here to here, and if I don't get to here, then I've failed, life has failed, everything just crumbles. Right? And, and success can be what we pursue after. A big one today in our culture is that finding your true self. Right? The, so many people preach this message that we exist to discover our true self, our true sexual identity and gender identity and cultural identity and, and, and socioeconomic identity and that we exist to know who this person is from inside and out, and unless I figure myself out, I've, I've, I've missed it, right? For some, man, it's pleasure and, and happiness, and we, we gotta chase the next high, and 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 I gotta, or I gotta get more of this, and more of that, and more of this, and more of that. There's this great quote of an author who literally has his own island. I feel like the, the status of arriving in terms of like stuff is, oh, that's my island. You know, like, okay, you've made it, whatever that means. And he was interviewed and he was like, what would you tell like the 20 year old self? He was like, I would tell the 20 year old self that when you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing there. He's like, I chased and I chased and I chased and I got to the top of the mountain. Maybe his island has a mountain, I don't know. And he's like, and I still felt empty. Like it wasn't enough. And so we have these things, and so do your friends, right? It's, it's what, what are we chasing after? What do we think we have to have in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy? What do we have that if it was taken away, you feel like your life uh, couldn't even go on? 
right? What is it that in your heart, you're like, this gives me the fullness of life? We're all chasing something. Every minute of every day, there's something that we think is going to answer that question. And God tells Israel and Jeremiah, you're, you're pouring your life into to broken cisterns. You're pouring your life into, into pots that have holes in the bottom and it's just draining out and you're wondering, why am I never filled? Because we're chasing after things that you and I, in, in however long you've been alive, have experienced doesn't satisfy. You know experientially, this relationship let me down. This career path didn't live up. This new thing became old. This fell away. We're chasing after things that will continue to let us down. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There are a lot of answers that people would write in here that seems good, that sounds right, that seems like the answer, but in the end, it will ultimately lead to death, dissatisfaction, destruction, despair, dejection, hopelessness. But we're all searching for it, every one of us. So is life just some cruel trick, some cruel game that we're chasing after something we can never have? This rat race, just spinning your wheels and never moving forward? The Bible very clearly teaches us that the fullness of life is found in the presence of God. Psalm 1611, David says, you make known to me the path of life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence I got him out of order. In your presence is the fullness of life. This is David speaking of God, right? God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, right? David is saying that God is the ultimate answer of what is the fullness of life, that in his presence, connected with him, is where we are going to find the happiness, most, most satisfying, the, the most complete and full life. And that's, that's because it's independent of circumstances, that we can have this regardless of everything else around us. And so the first question comes down to, do we believe this, right? Do we believe that the fullness of life is found in the presence of God? Because if we do, because of our humanity, that is what we will chase. Because we are chasing the fullness of life. But if we believe something else is that answer, then we'll interchange it. And that's why even as a Christian, sometimes you're like, dang it. I took God out and I put, you know, my, my family in there, right? We'll, we'll, we'll flip it back and forth sometimes. But the Bible teaches us that the fullness of joy is in the presence of God, is knowing God, is loving God, is worshiping God. Do we believe this? Like, do you really believe it? Or, or do you actually think, man, you gotta have something else in here? There's gotta be a family, there's got to be a job or whatever it is. So why God? 
I think that's a fair question to ask. I think it's a fair question to ask. Why, why is God the fullness of life? There's, there's a lot of times, you go read my journals in the last couple of years, and you'd be like, this guy didn't even know God. What are we talking about? Like, I've had some dark moments, some low spots where I'm genuinely questioning this. God, are you, for real? Because I don't know. Because I'm looking at it and going, all right, God, th- this is what I think you say, but this is not matching up, so how can this be? And so I think it's a fair question to ask, why, why God? It starts with knowing who God is and then it moves to knowing what God has done for us. Right? It starts with knowing who God is and then it moves to knowing what God has done for us. So the first thing is to know who God is. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. Right? That, that if we don't love one another, we don't know God because God is love. God is love. And what is love? Love is the intentional choice to selflessly seek the preference, good, and well-being of another before yourself. Love is the intentional choice to selflessly seek the preference, good, and well-being of another before yourself. God is love. God intentionally chooses to selflessly seek the preference, good, and well-being of another before himself. He is love. God's everything is outward focused. It's a generous giving of love. Now the thing that we need to know about the God of the Bible is that God is one but exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God exists in three persons and love is the outward move of generously seeking the well-being of another. And so for all of eternity, before, we're not even, before the world even existed, God existed and God the Father is generously giving love to God the Son. And God the Father is generously giving love to the Holy Spirit. He, he's, God the Father is preferring the well-being, the good of the Son. And the Son is doing the same to the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit the same to the Son and the Father. And so God himself is love, generously giving to the good of the other. In God himself, he is perfect relationship, perfect community, perfect love, perfect humility. This is the essence of perfection. God himself within the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the fullness of life just in and of himself. God is the pinnacle. He is the top of the mountain. He's not a means to the end. He is the end. David says in Psalm 63, your, your love is better than life. In, in Matthew, it describes the kingdom of God, knowing God is this treasure that, that be willing to sell everything in order just to have that treasure. That, that God is more valuable than anything or anyone, and he is the perfection of love. This is what makes God in and of himself worthy of our worship. Because he's, he's worthy, he's perfect, he's sinless, he's holy, and he's perfect in love. So now we look at it and we say, okay, what has God done for us? Well, the first question to ask is, why, why do we even exist? 
Why did God create the world? Here's a great, a great, great news, great information. God, God doesn't need us, right? God didn't need the world in order to feel loved because look, God is full in love, just within himself. So it's not like God is, his love tank is getting low and so he's like, oh, well, I better make Adam and Eve so that they can give me love. Otherwise, I'm not going to be loved enough. No, God is perfect. He's got plenty of love. He's got plenty of it. It's not like God needs praise, otherwise he's gonna, he's gonna fall short. No, no, God is being, the man, the son is praising the father and the father's praising the son and the Holy Spirit's giving like, so God's full on praise. It's not like God's lacking glory. Like, oh no, what if Austin Life Church doesn't give me glory, then I'm gonna be in trouble. Nope, God's good on glory. The father glorifies the son, the son glorifies the father, the spirit of the father, the spirit of the son, right? Like, God is perfectly content and ever increasing glory just in himself. He did not need the world. He did not need Adam and Eve. He does not need me and you to fill up something that's lacking in him. And that's good news because if he does, he's dependent on us. And I know me and I know enough of you pretty well. Like, man, (laughs) he's in some trouble. But he's good. So then why did God create the world? Because love is a generous outflowing, selflessly pursuing the good and well-being of another, and God simply wanted to share his divine love with humanity. He just wanted to give this perfect fullness of life. He's so loving, he was like, let's create a world that can join in this divine communion, that can share in this love, and so he creates Adam and Eve to walk with him, to know him, to share in that love, to love him in return, to to give glory and praise just like God has been doing for all of eternity. And so God's request for us to worship him and to love him, that's not something that he hasn't already been doing for himself. He's inviting us into the fullness of life. He creates the world, he creates us, and he calls us to know him and love him and worship him because that is the fullness of life. Not because God needs your worship, not because God needs your obedience, not because God needs your holiness, but because in that we join him in this divine communion and we know him more. How generous that a God who didn't need anything would create a humanity to share in this divine love with him. How incredibly kind that that we're not created just to be slaves or, or servants. We're created to share in his glory with him. To enjoy him. This is why we exist to know, love, and worship God. Because this is the fullness of life. This is why everything we do is meant to point us towards God because ultimately this is how God created the world to enjoy him and live in perfection with him. To know him and to worship him. Not because it's a a task or a duty or begrudging, but because this is how God created us to live. This is how we're designed. That's why we worship God because that's what he created us for. It's the only way we can ever know more of this fullness of life that we're all chasing after, is to walk with him, to love God as he's loved us, to worship God, to know him, 
This is how it was with Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. They, they walked with God. They talked with God. They, they enjoyed communion with him. This is what we're about as a church. This is the picture of what we want for you. We want you to know God and to love him and to worship him. Do we want you to to serve? Yes, we do. Why? Because God the Father for all of eternity in perfect fullness of life served one another. Therefore, we will know him and love him and worship him more as we serve as he has served. Do we want you to walk in humility? Yes, absolutely. Why? So that we can be known as his humble church? No, because in humility, the Father preferred the Son, and the Son preferred the Father, and the Spirit, the Father, right? Because it it joins us into this divine communion. Do Do we want you to come and to worship? Yes, absolutely so that we can have, you know, this big worship service and, you know, maybe everybody will know. No, because in you being a worshiper of God, you become like Jesus the Son who worships the Father. The Holy Spirit who, right? Because we become, we join in this divine communion. Everything we do is towards that end because it is the fullness of life for you and for me and to glorify God. That's what we're about as a church. That's our vision that's our hope, to be a people that genuinely know, love, and worship God. And we do that by helping one another trust, follow, and be with Jesus. The only way we can live this vision out is by Jesus, is knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, following his ways, communing with Jesus. Jesus is our only hope and answer. Why Jesus? We have to know that this is what God created us for. But Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of this picture. What is sin? Sin is any thought, word, deed, motive that does not perfectly love, worship, and honor God. Any action, any word, any thought that does not keep God as the answer to the fullness of life, God as the ultimate, is is sin. It's a rebellion from God. In Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, what we earn for our own sin, not what God punishes us with, what we earn for our sin is death, is separation from God. Yes, physical death, but even more so spiritual death. Right? That that God is the fullness of life, and so separation from Him is, is the absence of life. It's death. It's spiritual death. Our sin, we chose to walk away, and it separates us from the fullness of life in God. That's why we're chasing it. That's why there's a pursuit, because things have been broken by our own choice to walk away. But Ephesians 2 says God is rich in love and mercy. And while we were dead, while we were spiritually dead in our sin, God made us alive together with him by Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him, God made Jesus, who was sinless, become our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Let me, let me break that down. 
God expected this, right? A perfect relationship with him. That, that we love him just as he has loved himself. That's what God expected. None of us have lived up to that standard. Not a single one of us, right? And, and, and we, we broke and fractured that relationship. So how do we get back? How do we actually have life in him? The Bible says that God in his love sent Jesus to live among us. Jesus came and lived as one of us. He expected a righteous life from you and from me. We didn't live up to it, so Jesus came and lived up to it for us. I've often said it's like taking a test. You have to turn in a hundred to pass. But we all know that we failed. Jesus, though, passed the test. He passed it for us, and his offer is that he will write our name on his test and put his name on our test. He will give us his righteous record, his righteous life. Then Jesus, he came and he, he died on the cross. Why? Because our record of sin has to be paid for. Guilt has to be settled. It has to be punished, right? God would be unjust to, to let the guilty just go free. If you have a judge in a court of law and someone rolls in there and they're guilty and that judge is like, hey, no big deal, it's whatever. It's fine, do your thing. That judge is not gonna be considered a just judge and hopefully won't be a judge for much longer, right? God has to punish sin, otherwise he is not God. He is not just. And the punishment for our sin went to Jesus on the cross. Colossians says he took our record of debt I mean, imagine just a sheet of paper with all of our sins just written out. He took our record of debt, nailed it to the cross, and was buried in the tomb so that our debts could be forgiven and wiped clean. And so now we've got the perfect record of Jesus and the sacrificial death of Jesus all in our place. But it's the next part that makes it possible for us to be rejoined to fellowship with God. It's the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we don't have a chance to get back, right? He's maybe done good things for us, but we're still stuck, separated from God. But Jesus has to rise from the dead and return to heaven so that we can be rejoined, reconciled back into relationship with God so that we can pursue this for the rest of our lives and one day in heaven, we will actually know it for all of eternity. And so it's all around Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection that my sins can be forgiven and I can be made right with God. How? By faith. Ephesians 2 says we are not saved by works, but by faith. It's not because humanity was good that Jesus came and did what he did. It's because humanity needed a savior. And when we trust in him as our savior, our sins are forgiven and we are made righteous. It's by faith alone that we are saved. And so the question we ask is, have you trusted in Jesus? Not do you know about Jesus, not could you write this out on a piece of paper, but have you in your soul, in your heart, recognized that you need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior? And you've let go. Okay. My, all my hope rises and falls in Jesus. In the end, uh, I will have this because of Jesus. 
And if Jesus is not real, well, then I don't have this because everything's on Jesus. But Jesus is our savior. He is our answer. He is our hope. We can know, love, and worship God by trusting and following the way of Jesus. And when we trust Jesus, we're not left to our own, but the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us so that today we can progressively grow in the fullness of life until one day for all of eternity we know it perfectly. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came that we would have life and have it abundantly. I don't think that was a, a slip up of words. I don't think he was just saying one day, but today you and I can actually know God more than our finite brains can even comprehend. There's a, a place of abundance in his presence that, that we, haven't, we don't even know exists. But as we continue to trust and follow Jesus, we'll grow more and more in that. And one day you're gonna get down the road and be like, oh my, I don't think I've ever known God as much as I have. I don't even know if I was a Christian back then. I know God so much more now. You ever had that thought? Where you're like, I, I don't even know if I was saved. Like, I just feel so much closer to God now. How could I, like, that's just growing in him. And God's like, man, just buckle up. We're just getting started. For all of eternity, by faith in Jesus, so that's our vision, is to know, love, and worship God. Our mission is by helping one another trust, follow, and be with Jesus. That's who we are as a church. That, that, that's the end, that's the beginning to the end. Everything we do, anything that we do as a church is towards this end. That you would genuinely, not cognitively, but in your whole lives, know, love, and worship God. And that we would do that by trusting in Jesus, by following his ways, and by abiding in him, being with him. There's this great story I, I love in um, Acts chapter 5. Remember when Jesus was uh, betrayed by Judas, right? And he was taken by the mob to stand trial. It was a false trial, it was a farce, right? Before the Sanhedrin. The, the Jewish leaders, the supreme court, so to say, of the Jewish people. And, and you've got Caiaphas, the high priest, along with the whole Sanhedrin. And Jesus is being accused and condemned by, by the Sanhedrin. And it said in Mark, right, Peter was out in the courtyard, right, kind of watching from a distance, trying to see is Jesus, who, like, is Jesus gonna step up now and like crush some skulls? And, and bring in the new, the new regime, the new kingdom of Israel. Like that's literally what Peter is thinking is Jesus is about to just crush some people here and, and we're about to rise up in power. And so he's watching Jesus because that's what he's expecting and yet Jesus is willingly, silently being condemned. And so Peter's out in the courtyard while Jesus is standing trial and this slave girl comes up and is like, hey, you were with Jesus. And three times, the third time, and dude was dropping some, some curse words, like beeping out. He was just violently cursing her. I don't know the man. I want nothing to do with him. Jesus is being accused and condemned before the Sanhedrin. Peter is in the courtyard cursing Jesus and just swearing that he never knew Jesus. About a month and a half later, you got Acts chapter four. And now Peter and John are standing trial before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas. Like the same scene. 
Jesus isn't there now. Now it's Peter and John, and they're standing. Peter's not in the courtyard cowering in fear. No, no, Peter's in this, the room being judged by the Sanhedrin, going toe-to-toe. Why? Because he's preaching the name of Jesus. Forty days earlier, approximately, he's denouncing the name of Jesus in fear, and now he's literally the one on trial to be condemned and possibly executed. Why? Because he's preaching the name of Jesus. He trusts the name of Jesus. He's standing firm and courageous and bold. That's a huge change in turn of events in a short amount of time. Like historically, that's a huge change of events in a short amount of time. What changed? What changed in Peter's life that he would cower from a distance and now he's standing bold and courageous, willing to risk his life for the name of Jesus? Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's it. That's it. What changed? Peter go to seminary? Nope. Right? Did Peter, Peter, you know, take his time and grow up? No. Did he, did he study the Bible backwards and forwards? Nope. Did they gather up their church and sing all these songs together? Nope. He'd just been with Jesus. He, he lit, he'd just been with the resurrected Jesus. That's what changed for Peter. That's what fueled and built the church that went from 120 in a room to 5,000 plus in a matter of weeks, months. They were just in the presence of Jesus. They were with Jesus and his Holy Spirit came and filled them. And it wasn't just some distant idea. It wasn't just some religious practice. They actually communed with the living Savior. That's what I hope will be true of this church. Gosh, I, I would gladly shut the doors and walk away if we're just gonna be some religious organization. Like if we're just gonna come to church and do the thing and, and whatever, but our lives aren't transformed like Peter's because we've been with Jesus, that, that's it, that's all, that's all we want. It's that or bust. Everything else is, it just sounds silly and dumb. But man, if we can be a people that know and walk and commune with the living God of the world, what can be better than that? Like, I don't even know where your faith is, but just imagine, okay, if this God is real, and if this Jesus really came and lived and died and rose from the dead, what could possibly be better than knowing and hanging out with that guy? That's what we want to be as a church. That's our vision. That's our mission. That's it. Knowing the God of this world and loving him and worshiping him as we trust and follow and commune with Jesus. That's why we're here. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.